Journey to the Nativity, brought to you by the Greek Orthodox Christian Society. The Feast of Christmas, celebrating the birth of Jesus, is one of the most joyful days of the Orthodox Church. It's also known as the Incarnation of Christ. As Orthodox Christians, this means that we celebrate that Jesus became a man and came into the world to save us. This is the Journey to the Nativity. On the 21st of November, our Church commemorates the entry into the Temple of the Most Holy Theotokos. The hymns that we hear in church on this feast day tell us the story of this amazing event which took place during the early childhood of our Panagia. Our story began when the Lord answered the fervent prayer of Saints Joachim and Anna, granting them a child in their old age. So this wondrous couple made a vow to dedicate their daughter to God out of gratitude to Him. They decided to fulfill their promise when the Blessed Virgin reached the age of three. Joachim gathered a group of young maidens and instructed them to form a procession leading Banaya from her parents' house to the Temple of Jerusalem. They each carried a lit candle, which Joachim hoped would attract young Mary and prevent her from turning back to her home and her parents. But the holy maiden outran her attendants in her great zeal to enter the temple, and with great joy she ascended to the top of the fifteen steps, where the high priest Zacharias, the future father of the holy forerunner John the Baptist, was waiting for her. Zacharias led Mary into the Holy of Holies, which was the innermost part of the temple that only the high priest could enter once a year. She lived there from that day until her betrothal to the righteous Joseph. You may be wondering how we know all these details about Banagia's childhood, since none of these events are recorded in the Holy Gospels, not even the names of her parents, Joachim and Anna. We often point to holy tradition, which is expressed through the iconography and hymnology of our church, but we also know of a text that was written in the second century which contains many details about Banagia's life. This is known as the Proto-Evangelion of James. This is an apocryphal book which was not included in the sacred canon of the New Testament, and we know that it was not written by the Apostle James himself. But since it contains so many details which our Church has come to accept as part of Holy Tradition, we must ask the question of why the Holy Gospels are so silent when it comes to the life of the Theotokos. Elder Emilianos of Simonopetra speaks very beautifully of the hidden life of Panagia, and he draws on the mystery of how she concealed God within herself as part of the divine plan for our salvation. He says, What is the reason behind the birth of Panagia from barren parents? What is the reason for the obscurity of her existence? How and when was she born? How and where did her famous entrance into the temple occur, or the Annunciation, and the rest of the events in her life? The Gospel doesn't give us all the answers, so we must turn to the Protoevangelion of James, which can tell us something about these events. 
Some may say that the apocryphal Gospel of James is composed of mere human words. But behind these words are concealed the hidden events of Panagia's life, her birth, her entrance into the temple, the Annunciation, and the conception of Christ. Elder Milianos continues, After the Lord himself, the Theotokos was the most perfect being who had the capability of silence, despite the fact that she concealed within herself a God. God achieved his plan for our salvation through Panagia, and this is why all the texts contain passages that demonstrate how she was chosen from among all the women throughout the ages. Centuries had to pass for the person of Panagia to be found amongst human beings, and for her to conceal Christ within herself. Her hidden life reveals that all the events of her life are mysteries that should not be scrutinized, because we mortals cannot bear their revelation in full. The apocryphal texts make use of the most beautiful, simple scenes, which conceal the majesty of her nature, but also of the truth. To understand the significance of the Protoevangelion of James in the conscience of our Church, we will now hear some thoughts from Archimandrite Maximus Constas, who discusses the dilemma of accepting certain texts which fall outside Church canon. He notes that historians are trained to analyse texts by placing them in their historical and literary context and looking at how they were influenced by various sources. He says that this way of thinking is dangerous when it comes to Holy Scripture. He goes on to say, But what historians do not often consider is what actual readers and communities did with texts, how they received and understood them, and what was the rationale the particular gift of discernment and insight by means of which the church accepted them. The opinions of historians are certainly worth considering, but they do not have the same authority in the church as they do in the classroom. Even the opinions of bishops are subject to a higher authority, namely that of a council, and councils themselves, finally, are subjects to the judgment of the whole body of the faithful, the body of Christ which alone can discern the fullness of the truth of the Church. In the end, it is the fullness of the charism of insight and discernment regarding the teaching of the true faith that determines the value of things in the Church. In light of these thoughts from Father Maximus, we can appreciate how the events in the life of Panagia which are described in the Protoevangelion have been cherished by the Church and enshrined in holy tradition through the icons and hymns of the feast. The Church looks beyond the historical reality of texts such as the Protoevangelion and accepts those elements which express the eternal truths of our faith. Now we are going to take a closer look at the icon of this feast day. And with the help of the hymns from the Vesper service and the teachings of the Holy Fathers, we will examine how each detail of this event in Panagia's life carries deep lessons for our own spiritual life. First, we see the holy forebears of God, Joachim and Anna, offering up their beloved daughter to God in a stance of reverence and love. St. Gregory Palamas praises them, saying, How spotless their hearts must have been! to be able to offer up a prayer so far-reaching and effective. O finest of couples, 
O elect pair who cultivated and presented to God a dwelling place dearer than heaven. The following hymn talks about the procession of maidens who led Banayya to the temple, which is also portrayed in every icon of the feast. The young maidens, rejoicing now with processional lamps in hand, go before the Virgin, the spiritual lamp. Singing with gladness, they bring her to the temple of God today. If we look closely at any icon depicting the entry of the Theotokos, we can see how Panagia outran the whole procession. In the words of St. Gregory Palamas again, Gently quickening her pace, she left behind the choirs of virgins encircling her, taking the lead in front of them all, immediately leaving everyone behind, her parents, nurses and contemporaries, she separated herself from the assembled company and went forward to the high priest, absolutely alone and full of joy. Turning her gracious and gentle gaze upon him, she affirmed with whatever gesture she could and with childish murmurings her wholehearted devotion to God. The great joy that Banahia felt on entering the temple was expressed in a spiritual dance which is mentioned in both the Protoevangelion and the hymns of the feast day. The icon also shows us a scene from the life of Panagia within the Holy of Holies. Although her way of life in this sacred place is a great mystery to us, the fathers of the church tell us that she lived in constant prayer, rising above the needs of human nature and the pleasures of the senses, and lifting up her mind to contemplate the divine mysteries. Her angelic way of life is a perfect example of spiritual struggle and asceticism, and it was only fitting that she was visited daily by an angel who nurtured her with divine food. Now the holy and blameless maiden enters as her home, the holy of holies, in the Holy Spirit, and a holy angel provides her food. She is indeed a most holy temple of our holy God, who has sanctified the entire world by making her his dwelling, and who deified the fallen nature of mortal humanity. So the Protoevangelion of James, which is traditionally and poetically expressed in the hymns and iconography of our church, essentially depicts the reverence and love of Panagia's parents toward God, the wholehearted devotion of Panagia towards God, and how she had come to live a life of constant prayer, lifting up her mind to the divine mysteries. These qualities of Panagia are what we remember, together with other truths about the Incarnation, on this feast day of the entry of the Theotokos in the Temple. The readings and hymns of the Vesper service speak about how all the Old Testament symbols and obscure prophecies become clear in the person of Panagia. All the physical elements of the Hebrew temple, such as the sanctuary, the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, the vase of the manna, and the Holy of Holies itself are fulfilled in her person as she became the dwelling place of God himself. Elder Milianos says, The closed gate of the Theotokos conceals the unutterable mysteries, conceals God himself. The birth of Christ 
and almost all the feast days of the Lord also speak of this fact. This is why, the day after the Nativity of Christ, the Church celebrates a synaxis in honour of the Theotokos. All the events in the life of the Theotokos are linked to symbols of Christ. For example, her entrance into the Holy of Holies heralded the abolition of the High Priesthood of the Law and the entrance of the New Priesthood in Christ, the New Kingdom and the True Salvation, which was concealed behind the old Hebrew sacrifices. We will now hear some thoughts from Archimandrite Zacharias of Essex, who draws from the writings of the Church Fathers, but also from the teaching of his elder, Saint Sophroni the Athenite. Panagia was dedicated to God from a young age in the Holy of Holies. She had entered the Temple of God, and there she was taught the Law and the Prophets. There it was that Panagia made a great discovery. With her prayer she found her deep heart. Her mind descended into her deep heart. There she first encountered God, but she also encountered the corruption and death that had overrun all of mankind. As Holy Tradition tells us, it was there in the Holy of Holies that the Godchild Mary prayed day and night, beseeching God to eliminate the corruption of sin and death. That is to say, once she had discovered her deep heart and united herself with God, she received the Spirit of God, and through this grace her being was enlarged, and she embraced the whole of Adam, the whole race of mankind. Through her prayer in the temple, she interceded for all mankind. In the Holy of Holies, Banahia lived with his hesychastic prayer, with her mind in her heart. Her mind was constantly focused on God, completely focused on her intercession for the salvation of mankind, because within her heart, she felt the corruption that the whole world was subject to. She took this corruption upon herself and prayed for the whole world to be liberated from it. As she studied the prophets and the law, her mind came to rest on the prophecy of Isaiah, which speaks of the birth of the Messiah, of the coming of the Saviour Christ upon earth. She read the passage that says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Through the providence of God and his divine energy, her heart was set aflame by these words. From that moment on, her entire existence, her whole being, was concentrated into one small prayer. Lord, make me worthy to become the maidservant of that woman who is to bring into the world the Saviour, the Emmanuel. From that moment on, her entire existence, her whole being, was concentrated into one small prayer. Lord, make me worthy to become the maidservant of that woman who is to bring into the world the Saviour, the Emmanuel. It was at the moment that her heart was aflame with this prayer that the Archangel Gabriel came to her and said, You will not be the maidservant, but the mother herself. She had humbled herself, but God exalted her. This is why she herself said, the Lord has looked upon the humility of his maidservant, and the Mighty One has done great things for me. It is behind the words of the Gospel that we read all of these mysteries. 
In the words of a certain saint, this occurred because the Virgin Mary fulfilled in a prophetic way the commandment which her son would later give, namely that he who humbles himself will be exalted. So because she prophetically humbled herself, God visited her from on high, and he exalted her not only above all human beings, but above all the heavenly powers. Father Zacharias, with his patristic mindset, shows us how each and every one of us can follow the example of the Most Holy Theotokos by practicing holy isichia or stillness. Panagia entered the physical temple, and by ridding herself of all attachment to the sinful world and contemplating the name of God in her deep heart, she became herself the very temple of the living God and the birth giver of the Lord. She became herself the instrument of God, the reason for which God bowed the heavens and came down himself to earth. If it wasn't for this, we had no hope for salvation. Not only did she open up the way of salvation by bringing Christ into the world, but she taught us how, by following her example and calling upon her intercessions, we too can enter the temples of our heart and can be transformed into temples of the living God, living upon this earth as citizens of the heavenly Jerusalem, the kingdom of God. We hope that you've enjoyed this edition of Journey to the Nativity. For more spiritually edifying Orthodox talks and podcasts, be sure to head to orthodoxjourney.com. Thank you.